2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. It's near the back of the, the end of the New Testament, uh, about four or five books from the very end. Uh, there are two sections to Peter. The first one that was written generally to the church, and then the second that was written sort of as a response to uh, other situations that were going on. We're in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. You know, as a parent, it's, it's really exciting to see our children grow. Um, you know, our, our children, yeah, they're, they're still really young, but we can certainly see a, a maturing in them in, in so many different ways. Jonah and Silas, are, they're seven and six, and there's really not much that we have to do for them anymore. They can get themselves dressed, they can brush their teeth, they can even make their own meals if they, they need to. They're really doing quite a, a great job in their independence. Lydia, is, is she's growing by leaps and bounds and by all uh, markers, she is a normal, almost four-year-old girl. She's doing great. And, and Jude, he, he is not a, a baby anymore. Um, he communicates his desires sometimes more than he needs to. Um, he is he's very physical. He's an all two-year-old boy. From everything that uh, he, he is, he is naturally maturing him in the way that a, a two-year-old should be growing. And when I look at, at my children, there's a sense in which, and, and perhaps you, you felt this too, where you look at them and you're just like, just stop growing. Stay just like you are. This is so much fun. They're so great and they're always going to be great but you just want them to just stop but I know that that's not realistic and it's not healthy it's natural it's normal it is a good thing for children to grow and to change into maturity and signs of not growing at all could point to actual problems in the child's life and while none of us would dispute the necessity of a child to grow into maturity, I wonder how many of us approach the Christian life in that sort of way. For, for many of us, we just say, being saved is simply enough for me. We've received Jesus, but we really don't feel the need to grow. We neglect our Bibles. We, we dismiss prayer. We don't ever wonder if our love for other people is, is growing and showing in how we, how we treat others. For many of us, we're still struggling in those same sins that we struggled with even before we knew Christ. And many of us, we, we came to Christ in, in, in such a, a rush in order to get to heaven one day that we neglect the holiness that accompanies the journey to heaven. Christian growth really is a non-negotiable. In our text this morning, Peter has some, some difficult words for us. And um, we as, as Christians believe that we are saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I believe that Peter held to that same idea. However, in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, Peter says something sort of controversial. He says, yes, we are saved by grace. And while that is true, we cannot be saved without growth. We're not saved by our virtues 
But we cannot be saved without those virtues growing. And that's hard for us to hear because it sounds so legalistic that you have to meet a certain mark in order to be godly enough to get into heaven. But uh, just as it is with salvation, what God requires, God also provides. And that should be an encouragement to us this morning. So read with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, would you take these words that Peter has written And would you translate it into our language so that we can understand it, apply it, love you more, and love others more. It's in Christ's name that I ask this. Amen. Well, if we want to flourish, if we want to see our church prosper, then we need to grow in godliness and maturity. And I believe that Peter lays out three things for us this morning. First is that we need to realize the tools that are at our disposal. Let's make that personal for you. You can rewrite that point on there if you want. I have have all the tools. I realize the tools that are at my disposal. Sorry, I blundered that a little bit. Make it more personal. You know, in the mid-1990s, television sitcom was dominated by a show called Home Improvement. How many of you used to watch Home Improvement? Okay, good. It's a great show. It was a show about Tim the Toolman Taylor. And he was, uh, he was a self-professed home improvement specialist and had his own television show about how to show people, uh, showing people how to do random things around the house to fix up stuff. The recurring gag, however, was that Tim Taylor was a horrible fix-it man. Everything that he touched, he broke or hurt He knew all the tools that he had, but he never used them responsibly, and he always used them in property, and inevitably, he screwed up every single project that he tried to show 
on his program and in his house as well. In its eight-year run, Tim had been electrocuted countless times. He had broken dozens of windows. He fell through a few roofs. He blew up a few homes. He crushed a number of cars. He set his dishwasher on fire because he rewired it wrong. He set his telephone on fire because he rewired that wrong. He even once knocked Bob Vila unconscious because he didn't know how to carry around a wooden beam. So here's this guy who knew the tools that were at his disposal. He just didn't know how to employ them with care or precision. And if there was uh, one word that you could use that would not describe me at all, it would be the word handy. I am not handy at all. In fact, I'm probably more like Tim Taylor than I am Bob Vila. Uh, Projects often take me double or triple the time to complete, and they still don't look very good because I have absolutely no clue of what I'm doing, and I don't know anything about tools. I went to Ace Hardware one time because my father-in-law was, uh, and I were working on a project. He was more working. I was more screwing things up. And I went to go rent a tool. I had no idea. I needed a saw. That's all I knew. So I described to him what we were doing, sort of what he needed. And he said to me, well, do you need a, a skill saw? Do you need a miter saw? Do you need a, a reciprocator? And I looked at him and I said, Yes. And I had no clue. It was so embarrassing because here I am. I had all these tools at my disposal, no knowledge of how to use them and use them properly to make progress in what I needed to do. You know, our lives can often feel like that in our Christian walks, can't they? We feel stuck because we aren't growing and either we we don't know that God has given us amazing tools for growth or we we don't choose to use the tools that God has given us for growth. In either case, we need to hear what Peter says here to us. Now keep in mind here that this is Peter from the four Gospels in the New Testament. This is the Peter that was consistently shown to be the colossal failure. Here is the man who would say the wrong things. He would jump to wrong conclusions. He would act faster than he needed to. And along with the other disciples, he just never seemed to get it. Obviously, that changed because we see a different Peter in the book of Acts than we see in the Gospels. And that's good news for us because we see a guy here now that knows something about Christian growth. And he has something to say to us. Look with me in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How much has he given us? All things. You can underline all if you want in your Bible. What is it that we need to grow? Do we need the latest Beth Moore study? I mean, that'd be helpful. But Peter says that God's power is what gives us all that we need. Notice also that Peter puts an implication here that this is not something that we can attain or go out and get or go buy. Rather, it is something that is already given to us. If you go to any bookstore, go to Barnes & Noble sometime, and you'll find that one of the biggest sections in a bookstore is the self-help section. 
And many of the books are marketed something like this. Dr. Phil has everything that you need in this book for peace and mental wellness. You, you, you apply that to any self-help author. But notice that, that that marketing scheme implies that you have to buy the book, you have to read it, you have to understand it, you have to apply it, and so forth. But Peter says that all we need for godly growth is already ours intrinsically. Look again in verse 3. His divine power has granted. It's already ours. He's already given it to us. Everything we need. So when Peter says that God has provided for us everything that we need for life and godliness, he's expressing a holistic care for all of life. When he says life, he's not referring to God's provision of food, shelter, clothing. God does that. God is amazing in his provision for us. That's not what Peter's addressing here. Rather, he is saying that God has given us everything that we need for eternal life. He has provided for us a future security in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he moves quickly from that and now focuses his main topic in saying uh, that he also provides everything we need for holiness for godliness, for moral uprightness, not in the future, but for your life today, for your life this morning, God's given you everything that you need. Another way to say that is that he has provided everything for you that you need to live a consistent Christian life, to visibly show that God has changed you from within in your behavior, your attitude, And he's given you everything you need to deal with whatever it is that you are struggling with today. Whatever life improvement process we need to work on, he has given you the right tool to make it come about. And notice how Peter takes this idea now and he works it out. Verse 3 sort of begs the question, how is God's power dispersed? And he gives that answer again in verse 3. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now this knowledge is is not so that if you were on Bible Jeopardy that you would be able to spit out a bunch of facts about Jesus. Rather this this word knowledge here is is an intimate, close relationship with someone. Think about the, the knowledge that you have uh, if you're married of your spouse or if you have children or of your children. It's a different kind of knowledge than you know about Julius Caesar that you've read in the history books, isn't it? It's a relational sort of knowing. The godliness that God provides for us is given only by his power through a relationship. You can substitute that word with Christ. Why? Because Christ himself is the very model of godliness, of holiness, of perfection. 
Look again in verse 3. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That, that word excellence there is another word for saying moral uprightness, for, for righteousness, for, for godliness. And God gives us, by his power, through our relationship with Christ, everything that we need to strive to be more like Jesus. Look in verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, here we see sort of uh, some interesting things that he's saying here, because commentators are all across the board here on what is this precious and great promises that Christ has given to us. And, and, and the reason that they're confused on what Peter means is because, well, God's given us a lot of promises. And we don't know exactly which one Peter is referring to, but here, at least we can say that it has something to do with God's promise to continually sanctify us. That's a big word. will continually make us more like Jesus, to continue changing us so that one day we will be indeed like Christ. So what is the end goal of our, of our godliness? Why is God given us this tool? Look again in verse 4. To become partakers of the divine nature. <laughs> it's an interesting verse. Now, what is he talking about? Peter is not employing some early form of Mormonism here. He's not saying that if you continue to grow in holiness and the more holy that you become in this world, the more righteous that you become, that one day you're going to become a God yourself. That you're going to hold divine qualities and be a God. That is not what Peter's saying here. He is saying rather that when we reach heaven, our sanctification, our growth in grace and godliness will be complete. And what a great day that, that will be because I look on my life and every day I see how much I screw up and there's going to be a day when you and I are completely holy. We're completely pure. And every day Christ is bringing that to us. Look with me in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It should be on the screen there. It says, Behold, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. What in the world is that going to be like, to be like Christ? God has given you everything you need for this. We don't have to go to a spiritual tool shop and be confused as to what tool this is, what tool that is, how can I use it. They're already yours. Take them up and use them, which is our next point. Utilize the tools that God has given you. Utilize them. Having a tool on the shelf is no good unless you actually use them. As, as, as much as it is truth that God gives us everything for our growth... It is also true that you and I need to take a role in that growth. And here we find sort of a, a unique tension that exists in Scripture about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And we need to live in that sort of tension because, because Scripture lives in that tension. 
You might say that the the big idea in verses 5 through 9 would be something like this. Because God has given you everything that you need, use them. Do it. God has gone to spiritual Home Depot or Menards. He's gotten the tools. He's dropped them off in your spiritual storage shed. He's, He's put plans neatly on top of them and now says, go to work. And Peter says it a little bit more forcefully in verse 5. Look with me there. For this reason, make every effort. Make every effort. And then he places a laundry list of, of qualities there that we should strive for. And though it might look like it, from everything that I can see here in this verse, Peter is not giving us a sequential order of different qualities To work out. It's not as if uh, God through Peter is saying, you first need to work on virtue. And once you've mastered virtue, well then you can move on to knowledge. Once you've moved on from knowledge and you've nailed that down, then maybe you should go to self-control. But rather Peter's saying all these are qualities that through life can never be mastered And so we're sort of working on all of those things at once. It's not an exhaustive list of Christian qualities. We could name a whole lot more. But they're basics by which our growth is measured. And look again how Peter tells us how we ought to work toward these. By making every effort. Another way to say that is to be zealous for Christian growth, to strive for it, to work hard, to grow in our faith and in our character. So allow me to ask you a couple questions. In all of your priorities in life, and there are a lot of them, are there not? How high is growing in Christian character and virtue on your list of priorities? How much of an effort do you make to be more like Jesus? When it comes to your growth, are you making excuses? Are you making efforts? Friends, these are sobering truths for me because I I fall so painfully short of the growth that I need to make every day. But they're good questions that we ought to ask ourselves. We need to make every effort to grow. But here's the thing. We shouldn't let that get us down because it's easy to have that happen. It's easy to look at this, this list of all these things and Peter to say, go ahead and just get to work. And it's so easy to just say, that's too much work. I can't do that. I can't constantly be thinking about that. How can, it's not going to happen. But look again with the encouragement in verse 3. His divine what? Someone say it to me. Power. His divine power has granted us everything we need. Just like our salvation, what God requires, God also provides. He gives us what we need. You and I, we can't can't even come close to getting what we need without tapping into the resource of God's power. What does Jesus say in John 15, 5? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. We need to be tapping into God's power. Our Christian growth is dependent on God's 
power in our union that we have with Christ when we come to him in faith. Now, Peter goes on to answer the logical question, why? Why do we need to grow? Why can't we just trust Christ and just move on with our lives? Get the get out of jail for free card and continue our life the, the way that it was going. And he answers it in two ways. First, he answers it in the positive, what happens when we are growing. And second, he answers in the negative, what happens if, if we don't grow? So what happens if we do grow? Let's look in verse 8 together. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter states the benefits uh, somewhat negatively. It says that it keeps you from something. And that something is it keeps you from being ineffective and unproductive. The word ineffective there, in a sense, means utterly useless. There's no point. And unfruitful essentially means not producing anything good. So, growth in Christ prevents us from being useless and not producing anything good. We ought to know that. But then he also moves into the positive and says that growth makes you very useful for the kingdom of God. Your growth has tremendous value for what God is doing in this world and in your own heart. And this happens when we pursue growth. But if you don't grow, look at verse 9 with me. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I speak to you as one who is nearsighted. If I were to take off my glasses right now, I could, I could read my notes just fine. That would not be a problem. I can, hopefully there's no officers in here. I can drive without my glasses, fine. But there's no way I'm going to be able to see much past the back row. It'll probably just be a big blur to me. No offense, Dave. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you're nearsighted and you don't have corrective lenses on, do you know how you make things clear? You squint. How many of you have ever done that before? You squint to see better. I, I've done it. <laughs> and what Peter is saying here is that when we're spiritually nearsighted, we're spiritually squinting so much that we're closing our eyes and we're completely blind. We can't see what's in front of us. We totally forgot what's behind us. All that we're focused on is the here and the now, what is directly in front of our face. And when someone is like that, they inevitably run into problems because they're only thinking about what is right now. And Peter says here that if we are not growing, if we're not choosing to foster these qualities, we're actually forgetting or perhaps even worse, spurning the grace of God. Because God does not just save us so that we can get into heaven. He does that, but he also saves us to change who we are today in the waiting room of this world. 
Every day, God is wanting to change you, make you new, make you into a person more like his son. And to neglect growth is to neglect a great part of what God has done for us in the gospel. Our house is absolutely Lego crazy. Our, our boys, they, they love Legos. And if they get a new set of Legos, we will not see them for a couple hours because they are devouring this set. And they are making, they're building these pieces up in order to become what the set is supposed to be. Now, God has provided for us everything that we need to build up a spiritual Lego set. Now, think about if you were given that spiritual set and you look at the box and you can shake it. You can hear all those pieces in there. You know everything you need is in there. You look at the cover and you're Oh, this is going to be so cool. This end product is amazing. And then you put it aside and say, well, I don't really feel like I need to build it. It's just really cool to look at the cover. The end product is really cool, but I don't want to waste the time to put it together. Such a thought would completely misunderstand the point of the gift. You might wonder if, if you don't use it or if you don't even open it up, you might wonder if it's actually yours in the first place. But many of us do that spiritually, don't we? We look at the Bible and we see what God can do in our lives and we're like, wow, that's really cool. But we don't do anything about it. We read his words as if we read a textbook for a college class. When in fact God wants us to employ the tools that he's given to us. We need to grow. We need to change. We need to do whatever it takes to become more holy. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says this. It says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Friends, if there was any motivation for Christian growth, that verse in Hebrews right there is it. Without holiness... No one will see the Lord. Which leads us to our, our final point. We need to optimize the tool's benefit for us. Optimize the tool's benefit for you. Look with me in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, push the pause button there for a second, meaning, in other words, based on everything I've just said in the last seven verses, he goes on, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You know, we could, we could talk all day about what these terms calling and election refer to. But simply stated, when Peter's talking about calling and election, he is referring to the plans and the workings of God and the ways in which he draws us to himself in such a powerful way that we don't resist his grace. He's called us, he has elected us, and he draws us to him in his power. And it makes us secure in Christ. And now Peter says to the people in the churches that he is writing to, and by the way, by extension, 
Peter is writing to Emmanuel Baptist Church this morning to strive and grow in Christian character and conduct to essentially prove that God is working in you. And then he goes on to say that if indeed we're doing that, we won't, we won't fall. Now, he's not saying here that we'll never sin. And he's not saying here that we won't stumble. And he's also not saying that this fall will mean that we will lose heavenly rewards. Peter is not concerned here about the rewards that we will get in heaven. Peter is rather concerned that you and I get to heaven at all. That is what he is concerned for. To fall in this instance is to not make it. To fall in this instance is to be eternally condemned. But understand what Peter is not saying here. He is not saying that growth and good works are the basis for your salvation They aren't. There's nothing that you or I could ever do to gain God's affection for us. You can't be good enough to earn God's favor or to earn your way into heaven. But what Peter is saying is that you also can't be saved without that growth. There's that tension again. You're not saved by your growth but you're not saved without it. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul tells us this. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. One way that we measure our growth is to test ourself. Translation for you and I in layman's terms. We have to make every effort to grow We've got a stake in this, and we need to take a part of it. This is confirmed in verse 11 when Peter says, read with me here, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what way will there be provided an entrance into heaven? It's in the way of Christian growth. It is by proving that God has worked in our lives. And if he is working in our lives, he has given us every single tool that we need. You know, growth and maturity should be a natural part of life. Every one of us would take a child to the doctor if it seemed like they were not making specific benchmarks that they should. The same is true for the Christian. Friends, we got to grow. Failure to grow shows that there is potentially something wrong. In some cases, some, failure uh, to grow means that the plant is dead. And for some, and I actually believe for, for most, the lack of growth simply means that more nourishment is required. That's the case for me. I don't know if that's the case for you. I need more of Jesus every single day in every single way. But be encouraged. We have a God who has given us everything we need for this. He's given us every tool for life 
and godliness. So when we come out of here, let's go to him. Let's seek him. Let's pursue him. Let's make every effort to be all the more diligent to confirm our calling and election because just as he has given us every great tool and says, go to work, he also says, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. I am right next to you and in you, working with you and for you. And because we have Christ, you and I have everything that we need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God. That we all don't need to worry or stress that we don't have the right tool in the shed for what you're calling us to do or who you are making us to be. Father, would you help us to see that every one of us in this room needs to grow and can by your power. Father, I pray that every one of us, me included, would tap into the resource of your power. May we love you more. Would we seek you more? Would you change us from the inside out Father, thank you for these tools. We ask that you would bring them to our minds and our hearts and help us to employ them in every way. And it's in Christ's name that we do this for his glory and honor. Amen. Let's stand together and sing a song of response.